0: What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty
1: podcast. Here's your host.
0: Shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Hello, libertarians, and welcome back to Lions of Liberty. I am finally feeling a little bit refreshed uh, after an epic two weeks. Do people still say epic? Am I 37 years old saying epic? Yes, that's what's happening. An epic two weeks. Screw it. Hanging out with Libertarians, not just at Porkfest, as you heard, our our raucous live shows at Porkfest, both the Libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor, as well as the League of Liberty show we put out last week. We've also got a ton of material that I was able to record. I'm talking hours and hours and hours of material that I was able to record on the ground in New Orleans. And you'll hear a lot of my thoughts about the LNC um, over the next few weeks, both on this show, on various other formats. I'm actually going to be appearing on the Jason Stapleton program, Uh, what should be today if you're listening to the show on Monday uh, talking about my experience, so I encourage you to check that out. But one thing I just really want to emphasize is how much I want to encourage everybody out there to attend Libertarian events. For some people, Pork Fest might be uh, more up your alley. For some people, hanging out in New Orleans at the Libertarian National Convention in an air-conditioned hotel might be more up your alley. Others of you might just want to just start a meetup of your own and find local Libertarians. We had a couple great meetups with our podcast out here, along with the Jason. St- Stapleton program fans, part of the problem fans. Uh, It was really a great thing. Or just going to local Libertarian Party meetings or just Liberty meetings at all. There there is basically no shortage of ways that you can meet up with fellow Libertarians and really meeting people in person, seeing them face to face. That was by far the most amazing part of, of being at all these events the last few weeks. So I really have to thank our supporters on Patreon. You can go over to patreon.com slash Liberty and toss us a few bucks. As little as $5 a month gets you access to all of our bonus audio and video content. Now we're starting to incorporate a lot of video. So thanks to them, we were able to attend these uh, events, Porkfest and the LNC. We were able to record a ton of audio. We were able to buy the equipment that we needed to do that. And really without that, I we would not have been able to do this. It's really a, an incredible experience that I really, well, I would say I can't Describe, but I'm going to be describing it quite a bit. But it's it's very hard to put into words what it's like to really meet in person many, many people that I had known over the years as as little bots on Facebook or just known as fans of the show or people that came up to me that I had never heard of that just said they were influenced by Lions of Liberty, influenced to get more involved in things and to speak out about the ideas of liberty. And that is why we do this show. So I, I really can't express enough the gratitude that we have to all of our fans out there, not just the Patreon supporters, not just the members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, but everybody that's ever downloaded one of these episodes, everybody that's ever told a friend about Lions of Liberty, everybody that has ever shared this program, you are all part of the reason that we were able to uh, sort of, I don't want to say culminate, because we're just getting started. We're just getting started in building this platform and continuing to spread these ideas. But uh, it did feel like a culmination of the last five years of sorts uh, to attend this convention and to meet so many other people in person, many of whom I have interviewed before, and to actually be able to shake their hand, look look them in the eye, and then record interviews with them was really an amazing experience. So what we're going to do today, and you're going to really want the show notes today because this is the 356th episode of this program. That means you can find today's show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash 356. That's important because I'm going to give you timestamps for all the interviews in this show. So this is really just part one of our LNC coverage. I did hours and hours and hours of audio that I've, I'm sorting through. So I'm starting with this. I'm calling this the movers and shakers. These are people I interviewed over the course of the weekend who are um, basically um, trying to communicate things in, in certain ways. That's a very vague way to present things, but I, I think there's a theme that you'll hear throughout these interviews um, that is basically about communication, how to communicate the ideas of liberty. And uh, you'll hear people that have many different perspectives on how to do so and how to get things done. Uh, You're going to hear from Arvin Vora for a very brief interview. And you'll hear that that took place before the vote for vice chair. Of course, he was not elected vice chair. Good friend of the program, Alex Merced, was elected as the vice chair, which I have to be honest, I was very excited about just because I had seen Alex grow up. I'd been seeing him doing videos on YouTube about libertarian ideas for almost 10 years. And he's been on the show many times. So it was great to see a young voice um, who who I've seen personally grow over the years actually attain that position within the party. So I thought that was really awesome to see to see happen for Alex. But uh, this conversation with Arvin took place before that vote. You're also going to hear from Daryl Perry, from our good friend Dan Johnson of the organization We Do Better. You're going to hear from Tim Moen, who's the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, as well as the great Robin Kerner, uh, the art of political persuasion. That is, uh, that is his thing. So you're going to hear a lot of great conversations, and then you're going to hear at the end a little wrap-up for myself and John Odermatt, and uh, I'll probably pop in here at the end for a few more thoughts. Then next week, I will be presenting to you the rest of the interviews, which are mostly with uh, candidates for various positions across the country. So next week is going to be kind of our candidate spotlight. Of course, if you are one of our supporters on Patreon, one of our members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, you'll get all this stuff a little bit earlier than the rest of the folks. So without further ado, I present to you part one of our Libertarian National Convention coverage Let's get ready to roar, shall we? Lions of Liberty fans, I am here live with the current vice chairman of the Libertarian Party, Mr. Arvin Vora. Arvin, it's been a pleasure to meet you in person, finally.
2: Nice to meet you in it's person as well. All right.
0: And uh, I asked a lot of people what brings them here. I know what brings you here. You're the current vice chairman. Yeah. You're looking to continue to be the vice chairman of the Libertarian Party. That's true. Why do you want to be, because you continue to be in the role of the vice chair, why is mm-hmm. it an important role for you to hold?
2: The vice chair, in many ways, sets a lot of the tone of our outreach. And I do believe that there are major changes that are needed. Right now, I've traveled across the country and I've spoken to so many libertarian parties where a lot of people simply don't Believe Not that they disagree with libertarian positions. They don't believe that basic minarchist positions even are libertarian positions. The, one of the biggest ones, of course, is abolishing government schools. That is a minarchist position. It's an anarchist position. It's a classical liberal position. And yet, that message hasn't gotten out there. And I think that's a result of, of soft sell messaging. It's a result of us trying to sneak under the radar, reach out to people, tell them the government schools are fine, and then they become our new spokespeople telling everyone that government schools are fine, which they're not in the libertarian right. world. And uh, something you mentioned in the vice chair debate last night, which mm-hmm. I hadn't really heard you explain before,
0: is that you, you said for the first three or so years that you mm-hmm. were vice chair, you went around and you did have a little softer of a message, absolutely, uh, a calmer tone, a tone, or um, you know, just, just your form of messaging. And then when you went around to these conventions and mm-hmm. you saw that people were in the party that, like you said, it's not that they're against positions, they don't even know what they're supposed to be a lot of them. They don't know that abolishing schools is a very basic libertarian position. Very basic. The yeah. government should not be involved in education. So that is why you decided to take this sort of radical shift. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I, you were very, you were heavily criticized, I think, by most of your debate opponents for that's fine. some of the memes and that sort of thing. And I think your main point was that we, you need to be controversial to get that attention, mm-hmm. to bring that attention to the party and the ideas.
2: And the key ideas. Right. And, and that's true. I, I did spend three years as vice chair using the polite messaging, bold ideas, polite messaging that's our credo and i did that for three years and everyone so many of my friends were telling me it's not working they're saying you don't have you're not you're not a part of the party that you think you are you're basically dealing with a lot of people who just like to get high and don't know the rest (laughs) of the positions of the libertarian party and i disagreed with them i said there's no way that that's true there's no possibility until i saw it with my own eyes And I saw libertarian candidates saying that that abolishing government schools wasn't a libertarian position. I saw libertarian elected officials saying that abolishing government schools is not even a libertarian position. Not saying that they disagree. They just said it wasn't a libertarian position at all. And when I saw that and how widespread it was, I realized that what I was doing wasn't working, that this had happened on my watch, that part of this was my responsibility. And, you know, when I see things like, you know, military recruitment just going on and inside the LNC among the people who should know better. That shocked better. me when
0: you mentioned that during the debate. I-, I couldn't believe that I was actually occurring at a Libertarian Party convention.
2: So so let me, let me clarify that one of the members of the LNC, in consultation with other members of the LNC— chose to join the Marines full well knowing what our current foreign policy is and you know, broadcast it all over Facebook and, and everyone's saying, oh, my God, this is so wonderful. Thank you for, for your service. To me, that is a cultural problem. We should not be encouraging people to enable the worst foreign policy in the whole world.
0: What do you say to those that, of your critics that would say when you call out, say, teachers as being, I'm not sure what the exact terminology you're using, but like, um, you know, um, that they're getting welfare, basically, mm-hmm. or the same thing with, um, you know, that the parents of, of children that are. In I would say the teachers are. are
2: getting welfare. I would say that the parents, I mean, I, I guess you can make an argument for either, but I would usually say that that government schools are education – sorry, our welfare for the middle class. And when you have government schools being welfare for the middle class, you are expanding the welfare state into areas where it doesn't have any any, any reason to be. I don't agree with welfare for the poor, but I at least understand the rationale behind it. I neither agree with nor understand the rationale for – welfare for the middle class. It does not make any sense. And just because the middle class is large, it makes it a popular program, but that doesn't make it a right program, and it is a program we should be fighting against.
0: What would you say to those that say that a lot of the terminology you use, um, talking about teachers, about veterans, soldiers in the military, that it turns them off from even understanding or even wanting to listen to the ideas in the first place? That seems to be the biggest criticism you got from some of your debate opponents. They're worried that uh, kind of the, the language that you use will make them not even want to listen to what that end result might be, that end idea. What do you say to that?
2: I don't think they get what being ignored looks like. If people aren't listening to you, here's here's what not listening looks like. Just just so you guys know. If someone says, "Wow, that's a really neat idea." "Oh, I can see that idea." that's being ignored. In politics, that's what ignoring looks like. If someone says, I hate this idea, you're so wrong, you're not being ignored. And if you want to know what politics is supposed to look like, ask yourself this. Look at how much Hillary supporters hated Trump or how much Trump supporters hated Hillary. That's what politics looks like. We can't afford to just be the eccentric old uncle that has some wacky ideas if we want to change American culture. Listen, this government right here was created by this culture. We could knock down this whole government right now and this culture would recreate exactly this government. If we want to change this government, we need to change this culture and stop endorsing any part of the welfare state, especially middle-class welfare.
0: And to that end, you've really endorsed... Radical messaging of all kinds, you know, and saying legalize cocaine, uh, mm-hmm. legalize assault or automatic weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to really put that message all the way out there, mm-hmm. boldly and proudly. Do you think that is how, you know, some people say there are different approaches to liberty. Um, several your debate p- opponents believe you should pull things on a gradual way, You should mm-hmm. kind of lead people along slowly. Do you think that that your way is the correct way? Or do you think that there are sort of different methods for different people that can be used to sort of teach them about the ideas?
2: I think it's the right way for a vice chair. I mean... The vice chair's job is to be bold, is to be controversial. You know, the the interviews that a chair can't or maybe shouldn't do, those are the interviews that the vice chair does. And I've done many, you know, I've, I've done, I've spoken in front of groups that are entire anti-gun groups. The whole group is there just getting ready to go to Congress to be in favor of guns. They give me a chance to speak. I talk about legalizing automatic weapons. It's kind of a hostile room. But that's what the vice chair is supposed to do. Is that the chair's job? I wouldn't say so. I don't think it is. But, you know, that that's up to the chair candidates to, dis- to, to discuss. Here's the thing. Everything we're doing is recruiting right now. And we have to ask, who do we want to recruit? If we re- want to recruit people who actually want to abolish government schools, who want to end the drug war, who want to end the military welfare complex, who want to shut down all these foreign wars and bring our troops home, then you need to do the outreach that's going to reach to them. If you want to just get people who like kind of look respectable but like government schools which is middle, which are middle class welfare, who just kind of like you know being real worshipful of the troops so that they can keep on enabling culturally enabling <clears throat> this backwards foreign policy, then you need that kind of outreach. I don't think that's a strategically good idea. That idea is going to backfire the way it always does. That idea is going to make people chicken out of the ballot box the way they always do. That idea is going to have an uninspiring message that's going to hamper growth. So I do I do believe that, that your message Messaging has to, at the very minimum, be honest. You have to say we want to abolish government schools because that is the only libertarian position that could exist.
0: Arvind Vora, wish you the best of luck. The chair votes are coming up pretty soon. So we'll find out the results soon. And maybe we'll talk to you tomorrow uh, after it all takes down. And maybe I'll be congratulating you as to be the vice chair. We'll find out.
2: Appreciate that. Thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, I'm here live with Daryl, W. Perry, Daryl. Pleasure to meet you in person. How you doing? We met last night, actually. Yeah, pleasure, and
1: uh, I don't think that I've ever met you before. This is the first time.
0: We've spoken via podcast form before, probably via um, Facebook, maybe making some wrestling comments. Yes. First of all, since we're live on Facebook, why don't we show everyone your shirt here? NOLA 316. NOLA 316. Wrestling fans will get that. Other people... I don't know why you've been watching. Maybe, but <laughs> maybe
1: not. Who knows,
0: Daryl? Uh, what brings you here to the LNC? Last time you, we saw you at a Libertarian convention, you were a presidential candidate for yes. the Libertarian Party. And uh, to me, your main reason for running, your main reason for uh, running that campaign two years ago, was you wanted to make the Libertarian Party Libertarian again. Yes. You wanted to keep the Libertarian Party on point. You yes. wanted to really drive home a purist message. So, my first question is: two years later, how is that mission going?
1: Uh, well, if you were paying attention, I, I realize not everybody was watching the live stream yes. of the convention floor. I was there the whole, uh, whole We debates. wound up uh, adopting some really good platform planks. We stripped uh, the final sentence of the immigration plank that was being used by some people as, you know, sort of justification for borderitarianism. Mm. Uh, we earlier today added in a sex worker rights plank. And that's absolutely amazing. The language that we adopted was presented to me by sex workers, and I introduced that without amendment. Uh, it did wind up having one minor change uh, from the word "persons" to "adults," uh, but absent that, it was adopted, uh, you know, without substantive change. And then there were a few other. Planks that wound up getting adopted. I think we've done some really good work on strengthening the platform, and that's really what I wanted to do. It's what I wanted to do two years ago, and if we can just wind up, you know, basically preserving the platform. Now we also, and I've got one of these. You got a lot well, of I, I've got right a really here. long. Uh, I what, feel so lame. I only have what, two. What is being referred to as like a, a liberty penis uh, with <laughs> all of the ribbons? Uh, there's one. Close the back door, and. That's in reference to there is sort of a loophole in the bylaws that has never been exploited, thankfully. Uh, So in the bylaws says that the statement of principles can't be amended by less than a seven-eighths vote of all registered delegates. But that portion of the bylaws was not protected by the same super, super majority. We closed the loophole.
0: So they could have had a smaller number of people changing that bylaw and then be able to change the platform. Correct. More uh, so we closed
1: that loophole and that's another huge victory. It's something that I've been wanting to get done. And while I wasn't on the bylaws committee, I was on the platform committee. Uh, so we've got some really good stuff that has been done uh, coming up this afternoon as we're live streaming well after this afternoon uh, when this finally goes out as podcast form uh, because somebody still has to edit um, I have to
0: smooth. I have to to drink there's a lot going on here
1: Chair elections, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. But I heard that uh, last night you founded the Whiskey Caucus? No, no, it's actually the Moonshine Caucus. Ah, the Moonshine (laughs) Caucus. Okay, so slightly different. Slightly slightly. different. Uh, uh, What's the difference? Or not (laughs) what's the difference? Um, uh, What's the Moonshine Caucus?
0: Well, I was uh, up in uh, the Jeff Hewitt suite last night. Nice little party there, Jeff. Hewitt's he got an guy. award
1: earlier today.
0: Oh, did he? What was his award? Because I, I was in here smoozing. So I don't remember. I wasn't paying attention, All right, but, but he got an award. Jeff. We appreciate Congrats, you. Jeff. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, somebody had a, a large bottle of moonshine there, and I I had never had moonshine before, so this is my first time. With oh, I've had
1: moonshine multiple times this weekend. How
0: did I know that? I feel like uh, <laughs>
1: Danny Bedwell, who's running for Congress in Mississippi, uh, he, well, he has he really be in the moonshine these moonshine. little yeah. bottles that or titled, like, Mississippi Tincture of Liberty. Mm -hmm. It's moonshine. Uh, But it says on there, for medicinal purposes only. uh, But it's moonshine.
0: Well, this show is for entertainment purposes only, so anything you're saying now may or may not even be true, really. Let's be honest.
1: (laughs) True. Who who really knows? Who really knows? And as a, you know, not member of, but a sympathizer of the Nihilist Caucus, does it really matter?
0: Is there a Nihilist Caucus, too? There's a caucus for everything, isn't there?
1: Yes, and there's a secular caucus forming tonight.
0: Yeah, no, we were just—I uh, tried some moonshine. A couple gentlemen were with me, and we all agreed we liked the moonshine. So I said, "Why don't we start the moonshine caucus?" It seems to be a caucus for everything. Excellent. So we took a selfie, we posted it to the delegates group, and it, uh, stated that we founded the moonshine caucus. So I what are, think that's all you have to do to start a caucus, right? Yeah, basically. Basically. Uh, what, what are your <laughs> thoughts on the three
1: different caucuses with the word pineapple in the name? Uh, this is the first I'm hearing about it. <laughs> Tell me more. So there's the Pineapple on Pizza Caucus. Okay, I'm anti that
0: caucus. I'm, so but you I'm would, for their right to have it.
1: So you would probably support the anti-pineapple on Pizza Caucus. I guess caucus. I would have to. <laughs> and then there's the Pineapple Caucus. I think i us get, get behind that. Pineapple is the safe word.
0: <laughs>
1: it, it's a BDSM rights oh, caucus. I know that. Okay. Pineapple is the safe word?
0: Well, you know, I am. I am for free association, and I am for everyone's right to associate with those who have pineapple on pizza, despite how terrible of an idea that is. Yes, them. but you know. Um.
1: <laughs> so, what's the safe word? Pineapple. Excellent.
0: <laughs> I don't need to know that for later, do I? What is good? Where, Where's is this going?
1: <laughs> no, I, I'm just you know testing your uh, listening comprehension. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Um, yeah, because now you're interviewing me. Kind of, sort of, I
1: I guess. Oh, you're you're a
0: host too, so you know it's it's in our blood to start asking the questions and get home to the get really to the bottom of important matters.
1: Yes, and I almost wound up giving in the toll free number, but uh, (laughs) we're not on that show. Um, You can give it
0: out if you want. We're not. Yeah, no one will call. They'll call eight fifty-five four fifty-three. That's how
1: you call into Free Talk Live. (laughs) Live every night of the week, seven to ten p.m. Uh, Eastern.
0: You know, Daryl, a large part of the, the the debates. I think it was maybe more in the vice chair debate last night. Uh, there's a little bit of a, a, um, a disagreement, I guess, on, on how to message the ideas of liberty. That's a big thing. And as you know, Arvind Vora has had some very controversial memes this year, very controversial yes. messaging. And I, I found what he said pretty interesting in the fact that he said, you know, he spent three years giving a softer message and going around. And what he found was that people were coming into the party thinking that, not even understanding the full platform, right. not really knowing what libertarianism is. And he explained that that is why he decided oh, that to have more like radical message. Oh, some
1: of the presidential candidates we've had that, over the last <laughs>
0: decade. Um, So, I mean, obviously, um, you know, he—he and that's why he really took a turn to say, no, I'm going to be as radical as possible. I'm going to boldly state my views. I'm going to boldly state I want to abolish public schools. I want to legalize cocaine. I want to legalize automatic weapons. And, um, you know, other candidates... We'll say things like "I agree with your principles." However, we need to pull people along, along more gradually. You can't necessarily smack people in the face with that. So, do you think there is a right or wrong way to go about messaging these ideas, or do you just think it's it's sort of different for everybody? Is is somebody right or wrong in this debate? I mean, I know I, know, I have an idea of where you're going to lean here. But. Right.
1: So, I, I'm going to preface all of this by saying spending time on Facebook is absolutely worthless.
0: Unless you're watching our Facebook Live video right now, in which case it's very, very good idea. Right. So, you know, (laughs) like there can be times
1: where, you know, yes, goofing around, you need to do that. You can't be all business all the time. That's how you go insane, watch The Shining, all work, no play, (laughs) makes Jack a dull boy. (laughs) But you've got to realize that, you know, Facebook is what Facebook is. And if you're going to... Express a well-thought-out, coherent, radical thought. You have to do it in more than, you know, like a simple little bumper sticker style thing of good idea, this. Mm -hmm. Bad idea, this. And then 75 comments later, write out the four-paragraph thought that you have. Um, So it's not that I disagree with anything well, there might be some things that he's posted because I don't read everything posted on Facebook. Sure, Uh, But a lot of the things that have caused a controversy, once he explains what he means, it's like, well, why didn't you just make that the post? Uh, So some of it, he's doing it to get attention. And that's really what we're trying to do, right? Is get attention for the ideas. Uh, I think he might be going about some of it in the wrong way. But you can't soften down the message to be like, oh, well, no, taxation really is sort of like the price that you pay for living in society (laughs) because, you know, reasons and borders and this and that and something, something, my welfare, while simultaneously saying we need to get rid of welfare. Well, which is it? Are you worried about protecting the welfare state or do you want to get rid of welfare because you can't do both of those at the same time? You know, it's not Schrodinger's libertarian where you both want to support welfare and get rid of it at the same time. So be consistent in your message and actually say what you believe. You don't need to soften what you believe, but you can go about saying it in such a way as to where it's not going to be completely taken out of context.
0: So this all begs the question that I guess, of course, uh, got another convention in a couple of years. They're going to be choosing a presidential nominee. Are you going to be there? Are you planning to run another campaign to push – Making the Libertarian Party libertarian again?
1: So that's a multi part question it that is. I will answer in multi parts. I know I, you can handle it so I do plan to be in Austin in twenty twenty. For the Libertarian Convention. Not just like
0: Not just hang visit out. Austin right.
1: on like, you know, June seventh. <laughs> that would just be ridiculous. Uh so yes, I, I will I at least intend to be there as a delegate. Uh I have no intentions of running for president. In 2020, is that 2024? sort of a political answer that you have
0: no intentions, but maybe you will?
1: <laughs> so there have been people asking me over the last year and a half, and what I have said is, if you form a committee that raises fifty thousand dollars by the middle of 2018, I will do it.
0: If you lay the groundwork for me, then you'll you'll consider-
1: right. Because two years ago, I wound up. During the entire campaign, spending right around $5,000, it was incredibly stressful because I was always wondering, do I have enough money to get to this next convention? Right. Do I have money to go here, go there? So if I'm going to do it again, I want there to be you know, an amount of money that I feel comfortable of I can run a good campaign. And as far as I know, no money has been raised. Uh, so unless something well, it's early. drastic we haven't, get, changes, we haven't gotten
0: through this convention yet. So,
1: uh, so unless something drastic changes, I will not be. Uh, so that's where the I have no intentions. I do intend, as far as actual running. Uh, you may or may not be aware that I'm running the New York City Marathon this fall oh, cool. for the Innocence Project. All right. Awesome. Uh, I've already raised over $4,000 $4, for the Innocence Project. I would like to raise 5000 but I've already secured my spot in the race. You want to let people
0: know how they can donate to you? You can, can go you
1: to about? run.freetalklive.com. That will take you directly to my CrowdRise page. And CrowdRise is a funding platform that different charities can set up. And different people can say, I want to be a member of this particular funding. And then the money that goes in, they know, oh, this was money brought in by Daryl. Or this was money brought in by Mark. And like I say, I would love to raise $5,000 for the Innocence Project. An amazing, amazing organization. They've already helped over 200 people get exonerated through DNA evidence. Nine people so far this year alone. And we're barely halfway through the year. So this could wind up being like their best year ever by a large margin. It's already the best year, but it could wind up just being that on a much larger measure. Uh I've already penciled in my first hundred mile race for next October. Hundred
0: mile race. One hundred like miles four marathons.
1: Uh is this hundred miles continuous? Yes. Uh, the Ghost Train 100.
0: I can barely and make it, it up the stairs. Over in there, 2020,
1: so. I would love to run the uh, Florida Keys 100. Wow, All that right. I believe starts in Key West and goes to Miami. You
0: run over the ocean, or how's that? How does that work? There's a highway. <laughs> no, I know. Um, oh, Daryl, there, there' it's been a pleasure yeah. talking to you. So th- those you. are my my plans
1: for running, and probably you know a couple more marathons, and maybe do the six majors. Uh, so I'm going to have New York under my belt this year. The other five would be Chicago, Boston, Paris, Tokyo, and London.
0: Well, you certainly have So some that's going to be plans. several years
1: to get all of those done. Uh, yeah, and then maybe run the Great Wall Marathon because that just sounds really fun. That run 26.2 cool. miles on the Great Wall.
0: ass. Yeah. Cool. Well, you'll be running... Either way, he'll be. Running I'll be around. doing some kind he'll of running. He'll definitely be doing some running, and potentially, if enough people out there like what they hear from Daryl and wa- Daryl Perry, excuse me, and want to hear that Peril. pure <laughs> and want to <laughs> hear that purest message in the Libertarian Party in 2020, well, you can make it happen. You just got to help raise fifty thousand dollars. That simple, right? Daryl, best of luck. I'll see you around your Maybe we'll do some karaoke later on again. Yes. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Uh, I am here live and in person finally with someone I've, I've taught. You were actually one of my first podcast guests. This is Dan Johnson of We Do Better <laughs> and uh, several other organizations that you founded uh, as right. well. How many do you have? How many did you start? Four or five? We're or three or four, somewhere like that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Um, you were first on my show. I think it was like episode five, one of my very first guests. Uh, we were yeah. connected by a mutual friend, Brian Engelman, and uh, he told me about your organization, Panda. Back then, uh, that's People Against the NDAA. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll I'll link to all these interviews. We, we're not going to go in depth on everything you've done over the years because I don't have six hours. And I've already given you like five of them. <laughs> yes, <so> yes. <laughs> you might actually be the most, the most times on the show, I think. Because you're on four or five, I think I did four, maybe four interviews with you. Four or Every five, Every time you yeah. start an organization, we do another interview. <laughs> and, and this then, is um, the second interview for the same organization. Yes, That's only yes. happened like twice. Well, because you're live and in person, so it's special. <laughs> right. Yes. All right. Um, so why don't we just get to talking about We Do Better and uh, what you're doing here at the Libertarian National Convention and what is this organization you're promoting? What are you doing better, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
3: So the We in We Do Better stands for We the People. And the simple premise is this, that when it comes to, I don't need to eat the mic. Eat the mic or, um, oh, no, you're good. Okay. Okay, that's project to the phone, too. That when it comes to meeting human needs, um, through informal groups, through for profit corporations, through nonprofits, we the people simply do a better job. Uh, And so our 501c3 arm, we do better, produces these uh, solutions cards. We actually just, you can't see them, but. Let's see, maybe um, we can.
0: For those listening, in yeah, home, we're those, also yeah. live streaming to Facebook. Yeah, so.
3: <laughs> we do better.org. You'll be able to find under resources, you'll be able to find solution cards. But um, basically, we just produced these like b- about last week or so. And you look at this solutions card, it's got poverty uh, is the issue. And uh, uh, on the back, there are three organizations that do a demonstrably better job than the government. with So poverty. these are
0: not theories. You're showing real life examples of how private organizations funded voluntarily can actually do things better. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Uh, we we do better, not we can do better. Someday. Right, right. It's not, um, maybe
0: someday in a future world we might do something better. No, it's like, we are doing better right now. And right. showing it how.
3: So, so for example, uh, the Rocky Mountain Microfinance Institute. So, uh, people know about welfare and how it discourages work. If you don't know, there's a welfare cliff. So, basically, when you're getting a check uh, and you go decide to get a job, well, that job will probably take more money away from you than your check, actually. And it just doesn't
0: even make sense. To it, make. Does,
3: it doesn't make any sense and disincentivizes people from actually going back into the workforce. Well, Rocky Mountain Micro Finance Institute, basically, they're a microfinance organization. So they find low-income people who want to start a business, they give them some training, and then they give them a loan. Well, since 2008, they have distributed over $440,000. It's 182 loans to people with a 95% repayment rate, wow. which means they've launched over 180 businesses Which kind of Denmark.
0: scraps the idea that people on welfare are necessarily lazy or unmotivated. Uh, they just get into this system where it, it, they don't have the means to do more, and the system does doesn't give them any incentive or any reason. It actually incentivizes them to stay where they are, and it, and it kind of keeps them trapped, whereas these organizations are, are out there helping them and, and proving, help proving that, they can do better, too, if given the opportunity and given the chance.
3: Absolutely, if given the opportunity and given the chance. But but the fact is that the government takes most of our resources. And the government, you know, you look at uh, Crossroads of Michigan, for example, uh, all the way up in, in southeast Michigan. You know, for every $9 that goes into Crossroads of Michigan's program, they have a basic cash assistance program. So they do it a little different than the Microfinance Institute. Uh, per, but for every uh, $10 that goes into their program, $9 of that goes toward the people who actually need it. So 10% overhead, Um, which sounds, sounds, okay, yeah, not too bad. Um, In Texas, uh, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families program, uh, actually uh, uh, 60 cents out of every $10 in that program actually goes to basic cash assistance. So you look at, well, how much more good could we do with our resources? How much more good could we do if people knew about these organizations? And so our 501c3 focuses on Showing people these organizations, you can go to we do better org and find some more solutions. And then our 501 C4, uh, which is we do better action. Uh, we just uh, we advance the charitable credit, which is basically give you the ability to take some of your tax dollars and send them to the organizations that do better. Uh, you know Why would you send $10 to the TANF the program? I'm going to waste half of it at least. And, and waste 94% of it. Right. Uh, <laughs> why would you send that? If you could send that same $10 to Crossroads Michigan or Rocky Mountain Microfinance. It's mm-hmm. uh, already been active in Arizona. In Arizona in 2016, uh, people directed $52 million to over 800 organizations. We Do Better Action is taking that credit and saying, you know what, if we empower the people to support and direct their resources to human needs directly, then we can change just about the entire face of the country. Um, We can uh, not only do better for human needs, but we can also... Reigning government abuses, right? You know, imagine if police are continually shooting people you know, in your neighborhood. Well, then you just take your money and go. Well, I'm not going to give it to you if you're going right. to continue. I'd
0: prefer not to uh, give money to people that kill people. That's, A- that's exactly my thing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or, or like the the Brian Engelman story about the the cops, you know, going into his house party and yeah, like, I was almost... there. I was. You were there. That. That. I was. Okay. So you've probably talked about it on the show yeah, and stuff have, like that. Yeah. And like you can immediately correct mm-hmm. bad actions, and you can reward. Uh, good actions.
0: Whereas government monopolized, you know, you can't do anything when there's government involved. You, there, It is what it is. There you go. Oh, the police killed some people? Well, oh, well. We'll get the same amount of money next year, yeah. right? We'll actually increase the budget, because we need to fight the lawsuits <laughs> from the people they killed. So <laughs> exactly. We're going to need to up this thing a little and bit. And we're not
3: going to pay the lawsuits. The taxpayers are going to no, pay the lawsuits. No. But, you know, whatever. Um, So, uh, uh, since we last talked, and I talked about this in theory uh, last time, since we last talked, uh, we had a bill introduced in California, SB 1485. Uh, This bill, we were able to get, Let's say about two weeks before, I just wanted a bill number, right? Right. It's California. It's like getting a bill introduced in the federal government. (laughs) Like, if I got a bill passed in California in six months, I wouldn't be here, no offense to you, I'd be on an island sipping a, you know, (laughs) uh, a margarita. Um, Like... But uh, we were. You got pretty close, though. You made a lot of traction. We got in two weeks. We got twenty-one organizations, including major anti-human trafficking organization, uh, addiction recovery organizations, to back our bill uh, in California. It went down one, three, three. So three no vote, three um, abstain, and one yes. But we were able. There was one point where uh, the chair was speaking to our sponsor, and they're having this debate over over the money. And our sponsor points out, "Well, you you know, this is actually the people's money." And you know, if the people were here, they would have voted for this. Uh, and the the chair was like silent for like ten seconds and realized, oh, oh, they would have, wouldn't they? <laughs> um, so we, we made a serious impact. We were able to get the groundwork. Since that point, we have just in the past week, we've launched four new teams uh, at WeDoBetter.org. If you want to get involved, you go to WeDoBetter.org, uh, click on Get Involved.
0: Um, but it, I mean, we're rock and rolling. Awesome, man. So obviously, you're here at the Libertarian National Convention promoting this idea. Um, I imagine you get a pretty good response from libertarians on this. I mean, this is exactly what we're trying to promote, is to do things through private organizations, through, through voluntary transactions. I'm curious what kind of response uh, do you get? Obviously, you can't just talk to libertarians because we're a pretty small percentage of the population still right now. Uh, what kind of response do you get out there from Democrats, from Republicans, from people of you know, other I- ideologies? Do they reject this idea? Do they find it a little interesting? What, what, what are you getting out there?
3: Sure. So We Do Better was actually launched at Netroots Nation. Uh, So, progressive event big time for those who don't know, it's the progressive CPAC.
0: Did you purposely do that for this reason? It's kind of the same reason you want to start in California. You start with what might be the furthest opposed to it in theory and sort of go from there. Exactly. that makes
3: libertarians easy, right? It it (laughs) makes, you know, whether libertarians get on board or not, you know, political minority, like, Mm -hmm. happy to have you, don't get me wrong. But, (laughs) um, so we started Netroots and we had this one conversation where this, this guy comes up to our table and he goes, his first words out of his mouth, I disagree with everything you stand for. <laughs> okay. Nice to meet you. To starting you, right? point. My name is yeah. Dan. Go, go hey, on. Yeah. Happy to meet <laughs> you. Um, and so we get talking, and he's 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 very big into government providing human needs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And uh, we ask him one key question at a point, which is, "Do you have?" Because we're about people doing better. Um, look, if the government does a better job, and they can prove it. Go do it. That's fine. Not going to happen, but, but sure. Right. But, you know, I'll in, listen. That, in that case, let, let's right. like air traffic control might be a, a
0: harder one mm-hmm. for um, the, the people to pick up because, mm-hmm.
3: you know, there's not a lot of planes falling out. And of the, the government sky right
0: has now. all the infrastructure and there's not that many people screaming about how bad the FAA is, even though or we know it probably Dying in fiery plane crashes right, in right. Ohio or something like right. that, right? So, so if the government does it better, then they
3: should do it. But if the people do it better, they should do it. Yeah. And uh, so we ask him, do you have an ideological commitment to the method? or a moral commitment to the outcome. It's a hell of a way to phrase it. And uh, he was just like, I have a moral commitment to the outcome, obviously. And we had a little more conversation with him, and uh, at the end of the conversation, he walked to the table, he signed up, and he said, you know what? I am not sure I totally agree, but I work with an organization that helps mentally ill and disabled uh, kids, and uh, they need more resources. So we had a 100% sign-up rate at at the Progressive Netroots. So We Do Better does not focus on libertarians. We focus outside the choir, massively outside the choir. And what we find is that when you're not saying, oh, it's about liberty and freedom. Look, I talked about this uh, in my session yesterday. People care way more. About getting a better service than they care about liberty or freedom. Right. If they can get a better service in a jail cell, they'll sit in a jail cell and get a better
0: service. Talking about this uh, concept earlier with uh, Joe Hopman, he's one of the vice chair candidates, and uh, you know libertarians are very intellectual, very I- ideological, very philosophical. Uh, a lot of us are sort of engineers, philosophical engineers in our mind. But you know, he he was a physics teacher, so he made this analogy. Like, I'm not a physicist. I'm a physics teacher. You don't want the physicists teaching <laughs> physics, okay? Because everybody's going to fall asleep and no one's going to know what the hell they just heard. Same right. thing. You don't necessarily want the ideological, super hyper-intellectual libertarians yeah. necessarily being the marketers of liberty or at least not using those same tactics, those same, those same philosophical arguments right away for the introduction. Right. Once right. you get into the convention, you sit down. Sure, you can get into the re- weed, talk about Rothbard. Rothbard and all this stuff. And <laughs> but if you can get people in by just promoting their interests, saying you're not saying you disagree with everybody. You're not saying I disagree that I want to end poverty the okay. I don't, you don't disagree. You want to help kids who are being trafficked. You want the same exact things, no. and you, so you're starting off. It's a, it's a very smart way to approach things. You're starting off by agreeing with with everybody. It, I mean,
3: isn't that the free market principles I, of absolutely. libertarianism? Like you have to actually deliver a product people want. You can't just take your product and be like, "You'll have Rothbard's book." Right? <laughs> like, it's, a,
0: it's the exact same <laughs>
3: idea, right? Like you, 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 and that's how the marketplace decides who wins and who loses. And it's, it's very similar in politics. Uh, kind of the game of ideas mm-hmm. that that the marketplace decides who wins or who loses by. Can you deliver a better product or a better service to people? And uh, what, are, what are what the biggest thing I want people to take away from this? And I, I have to take a slight issue with your use of private organizations. Go for it. Um, when you say private organizations, that's my
0: that's my little philosophical libertarian mind uh, no, coming out I mean, here. I mean, it's cool,
3: but they're not private organizations. They're serving the public. They're serving. They're not serving themselves. It's not like an organization somebody set up as like you know a tax. This shelter is my place and for and... my
0: three homeless people that only I
3: like. <laughs> exactly right. Um, they're they're public organizations and. Uh, by giving
0: the government, and that's another word. great way to phrase things, because you're again, they like that word public, so you're not going to take it away. Okay, it's, I, it is public. This is for the public. It, it, and I'm going to recognize that it's for the public,
3: uh, and I'm going to recognize that there's no, re- not every school. Uh, is a government school that serves the public, right? right? Uh, Or not every school that serves the public is a government school. In fact, most of them that serve the public aren't. Um, Most of in just about every category of public services, are provided by the people, not by the government. And so giving the government that high ground and saying alternatives. Libertarians love the word alternatives, but I prefer, like, other solutions, for example. Um, And so I I take a little bit of issue with that. But if there's one thing I want people to take away from this interview, uh, it is simply this. That not we can not someday not eventually not you know someday in the future but right now we the people do a better job um, like there there's no we have this once the free market you know somehow comes about and you know Liberty reigns one day uh, that we can do better <laughs> uh, no it's right now today we do a better job and if we simply notice those organizations we do better org um, or you know we actually take action to allow people to support those organizations directly uh, which is also we do better get involved, um, then, uh, I think you know, until we get to that point, it's going to continually be a losing philosophical argument because it's only a philosophical argument and not a real argument based on someone's experience.
0: Uh, Before we sign off here, why don't you let us know, do do you have anything else brewing in the works? I don't know if you have another organization you're working on, but probably do, and been in the back of your mind somewhere, but what else is in the works in terms of the bills and the legislation that you're looking to pass? Is there any progress that you're making in other states and that kind of thing?
3: Absolutely. So, we we just signed up a few more teams. Uh, We do better Indianapolis uh, just came on board. Uh, They're targeting Marion County property tax. Um, uh, We do better Denton County in Texas. Uh, We do better Idaho. Um, We do better san diego and i know i'm forgetting uh one or two. Oh, we do better cook county illinois uh we added like seven teams in the past three weeks and so what they're doing is they're saying look i want to empower people in my community and give back to we the people the ability to meet human needs directly the best way that we can i want to pass a charitable credit i want to say you know what your tax money, you should be able to decide how to help people with it. Um, and uh, if you are interested in something like that, you can go to org. click on Get Involved. We'll reach out to you. Uh, we'll get you started. I mean, quite frankly, we're taking off. We had like 50, 60 signups at this convention That's alone. That's right. Awesome. Uh, and uh, I might need some help managing people at one point. So if you have good management skills, you know, give me a
0: holler. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Johnson, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you in person. Uh, I'm sure we'll hang out over the next few days here in New Orleans. I look forward to it adios folks all right facebook i am uh lions liberty fans i am here live still at the libertarian national convention and i'm here with the leader of the libertarian party of canada tim Moen. tim pleasure to meet you tim
4: in. make sure i pronounce yes, that Moen, correctly. just like the fine faucets and plumbing fixtures <laughs> yeah. good to well, be here yeah
0: it's good to meet you in person i've interviewed you before and yeah. uh yeah it's uh it's uh, obviously you've been to a few of these here in america and several in canada i'm kind of yeah. curious um in terms of the uh, the general feel, the general vibe, is there are there any major differences between a uh, United States
4: Libertarian Party convention and the conventions that you guys hold up north? Maybe different snacks, different. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you're obviously a much bigger party than us, um, and as Canadians, we're a little bit more uh, maybe polite is the right word. I don't know. It's a lot of <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Right. Um, not as many hockey <laughs> fights at this. point convention as in <laughs> Canadian conventions, but uh I think you just settle all the races by playing <laughs> hockey, is that is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. You know, we just jersey the other opponent until they're bloody and unconscious and then we shake hands and say, Oh, okay, good boat. <laughs> And you, uh, so
0: you uh, yourself and Robin Kerner were the moderators for the uh, the chairman debate. I thought that was pretty interesting that we had two. Uh, well, Robin is now actually a U.S. citizen, but uh, two people from a different country hosting the chair debate. Oh, was that
4: the idea behind it? Do you think? Well, we're members of the Commonwealth, so I don't. I, I'm not sure if that was a connection, but I think the primary thing was that uh, you know they wanted some maybe objective outsiders uh, moderating to give the air of, of uh, neutrality or something. Right. Right. But, right. Right. Um. H- how do you think that that debate
0: went? Uh, that that was a little bit different of a vibe than the vice chair debate, which was relatively calm. The uh, chair debate was uh How would you call it? Interesting.
4: It was entertaining. <laughs> it was spicy. Uh. You know. There's a, there's a commie on stage. I I was surprised by that. I, Correct. We don't we don't <laughs> have that in Canada yet. So that's something to uh, look forward to. Right. Maybe I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting because Matt does try to emphasize that he is a communist. However, he favors voluntary communism. I right. don't know if that's ever really worked in history or ever existed, but I mean, I, I guess if we're going to say people can have voluntary associations, we have to allow people to try that, right. but then he'll say something to the effect of, and I support Medicare for all. So that right. doesn't
4: sound all that voluntary, but and, it was uh, a rent is theft. And right. of course we can use <laughs> violence to prevent theft. So. Leave the phrase abolish private property. It was also yeah, used. Yeah. That seems, uh, seems like there's a little bit of violence there, but uh, good on him for standing up there and and taking all the booing I guess so
0: I'm not sure if you heard the uh, on that subject the uh, proposal is called the New Orleans Accord that was brought up earlier it basically said uh, this isn't, obviously isn't word for word but it basically said that the libertarian Party is open to people with various different economic views as long as they are vol- voluntary associations which on the surface I suppose is something I could agree with due to the end of that however t- to me I mean I voted against it I'm a delegate as well so um, to me, we already have a party platform. It already has private property instilled yeah. in it, and I so it, you know I don't see how that changes anything. And it does seem to be a way for to just allow for some of these different economic views, such as rent is theft, abolish private property, to work their way
4: into the party and be approved by it. So that's why I was opposed to it. Well, yeah, did did the motion pass? It did or- not. I do not. But it was, it was, it was close actually. It was closer than I thought it would be. That's a troubling one. You know, I'm a big fan of the Dallas Accord, of course, mm-hmm. which uh, says that, you know, if you're a constitutionist, a minarchist an anarchist or whatever, we should all just focus on the 90% that we agree on. But it, it does seem like opening the doors to people who are diametrically opposed to our principles, who might not realize that they're diametrically opposed, opposed may maybe is, um, a bit of a, uh, a, a Trojan horse, right. a bit dangerous. So I'm glad the motion was defeated personally. Yeah. but
0: Let's move on to uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in Canada in, in terms of the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian movement. Um, I, I, I imagine, you know, you're a, you're a, how big is the Libertarian Party in Canada? It's, uh, I know it's smaller than the one we have here.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I think in terms of proportion to our population, it's about the same. I mean, we usually peel off about, uh, well, I think in the last election we peeled off about uh, two or 3% of the vote. So, uh, that was our, our best result in 43 years. So it's kind of slowly starting to rise. Um, so I, I think we're kind of on par with the U.S. in terms of the proportionate number of libertarians. Mm-hmm. And Canada
0: um, recently passed, I believe it was marijuana decriminalization. It's also a—it's it's a lot more than decriminalization, though. It's, it's basically a giant regulatory package, which is yes. um, California passed something similar, which is a, its a diff- difficult thing for I think libertarians because on one hand, we certainly want to legalize marijuana in the sense of anybody can have it without being put in jail. At the same time, we're opposed to regulations, we're opposed to this kind of thing. So, I mean, in California now, I mean, the price of marijuana that that was um, under a, a, um, the medical regime earlier, when recreational wasn't still due to all the regulations, prices have skyrocketed. I mean, not only are there num- a number of taxes and regulations and that sort of thing, but now it's more expensive to produce marijuana due to regulations just with right. the growing and that sort of thing. So, it's really, and there's actually is now a movement, and I believe it's going to be on the ballot again, to re- some of those taxes, which I, su- I suppose is a wonderful thing. So, what are your thoughts on the uh, what passed in Canada, or did it, it officially pass? It's or?
4: It's, uh, it's passed, and it, it will be recreational cannabis uh, will be legal in October. Now, you're right. It, it, you know, the term legalization comes with all sorts of caveats. So, uh, you pass a joint to someone that's under the age of uh, 18, you could be on the hook for 14 years in wow. prison. Yeah. And those than, are punishments that were not in the law before. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you you ha- have uh, over 30 grams of cannabis in your possession. You could spend up to five years in prison. Uh, you, you, you're you a business that sells to um, a minor or someone under the age of 18, uh, you know, half a million dollars. Like it, it, it is very and what we're seeing now. So up for the past five years, it's been a bit of a golden age for cannabis growers in Canada. There's been all these mom and pop shops. Vancouver City has said, well, even though federally this is illegal, we're not going to enforce federal law. Mm -hmm. And so all these dispensaries popped up, all these craft producers popped up. There's a, a burgeoning Uh, free market. It's almost like a
0: local nullification Canada style. Yeah.
4: yeah. And so now what we're seeing across Canada is all these dispensaries that have kind of been operating in the gray market um, are having their kneecaps busted. There's raids going on. These things are getting shut down. And uh, these people are are, the employees of these stores are getting thrown in jail. Um, and, And so this is all a prelude to legalization. And the federal government issues the licenses to produce and they're, they're only going to issue like a handful of these licenses. So there's going to be a dozen to 20 businesses that are going to have a license to print money. And everyone else is going to have their kneecaps busted. So if you're politically connected, you know, Justin Trudeau's uh, ex-chief uh, financial officer of his campaign owns one of the biggest cannabis companies in Canada. So obviously he's going to get a license to grow. Think they're so. going to get approved. I think it's yeah. looking good for them. So, so we're seeing how crony capitalism emerges in real time right now. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so would, are you looking to help to, I mean, I don't know if you'd want to repeal this legislation or would you, or would you just try to amend it to remove those penalties while keeping the legalization aspect or, I mean, are you out there talking about this sort of thing out there yep. and you're actually running for parliament as well. So I'm sure right. this is something that comes up a lot on the, on the campaign trail.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, so the first thing I do is, you know, we have in Canada, we have the criminal code, so it's. You know, these are criminal offenses. You get a criminal record, you can get thrown in jail. So it has to be removed from the criminal code uh, right off the bat. That's the first thing. And then we have to get licensing out of the hands of the federal government. So, you know, these are all the things we need to work on. There are certain um, positive aspects of of this uh, regime that, you know, the provinces basically have the rights to distribution so they can distribute how they want. So, so, you know, this is kind of like states' rights in the U.S. So I'm okay with that. You know, Ontario has dropped the ball big time there. They sell alcohol. The pr- province is the, the single seller of alcohol in the, in that province. And they are the ones that are going to be distributing and selling the, the cannabis. So that's a terrible model. But, you know, in Alberta, we're more free market friendly. So I think it'll be more business oriented. But
0: Tell us a little bit more about your uh, your run for parliament. Uh, why did you decide to run? How's the campaign going? What kind of response do you get out there from your, your fellow Canucks?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously a tough slog. So I, I got involved. I, I did some film work with uh, environmentalists that came up to my community. I'm I originally from the oil sands community of Fort McMurray. So it's kind of a geopolitical hotspot. And so all these uh, left-wing Hollywood uh, environmentalists would fly up from uh, L.A. and come and do documentaries. And as one environmentalist said, that we come here because in the environmental movement, coming to your community gets us laid. And so, uh, you know, I worked with Neil Young and Daryl Hannah they, they came up and, uh, and then they, they, They they probably
0: don't agree with you on many other political issues, but it's great when you can build coalitions. Well,
4: my my main goal was just to I'm willing to work with these people and tell whatever story they want to tell. But I'm there to provide a little bit of cognitive dissonance and encourage them to point their camera at the the positive things that were coming out of our community. All the the charity, the the fact that the uh, First Nations people were were being lifted out of the dirt, out of their poverty uh, because of the industry there, those kinds of things. Of course, they didn't want to see that. So. I was recruited hard after I wrote this article explaining Neil Young's hypocrisy and my uh, experience working with them by some libertarians, and I was very resistant to get involved in politics. It took them six months to convince me to run for parliament, and uh, you know ultimately they convinced me with Ron Paul. They just said, "Look, you can't tell me that Ron Paul wasn't promoting the values you believe in and didn't do some good." And I, I couldn't argue with that, so I stepped on the stage. And uh, pretty soon found myself launched into the international spotlight when uh, that meme, I want gay married couples to protect their marijuana plants with guns, went viral. Did you originate that? You originate that one. No, no? I, Austin, I think Austin Peterson okay. actually originated. I saw it
0: from both of you guys around the same time. So I wasn't yeah. sure who, whose brainchild it was. But I
4: saw, I, I, I saw a meme online. Our, our team picked it up and said, hey, we can remix this to our uses. And, and we did. I didn't know who the author was. Austin Peterson later said it, that, that he came up with it. No reason to... To doubt hey, that. We can all so, use it, right? They don't believe in IP. So, <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you, Austin Peterson. Yeah, that meme helped us out incredibly. So, you know, the, the, it, it's been a real slog, though, because one of the things in Canada is universal health care. Canadian, you know, Political Science 101 says you don't touch that subject. It's, it's a dead issue. It's, it's a, not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. So, we have to address that issue in Canada. And then it's a tough sell, but we are seeing signs of progress. You know, we recently there's uh, a Rand Paul. Like figure in in Canadian government, his name is Maxime Bernier. He's a member of Parliament for the Conservative Party, and he ran for leadership of the Conservative Party on a libertarian uh, platform, and he came within one percent of winning that. So he could have been our next Prime Minister, uh, but he lost because the, his opposition uh, brought in a bunch of dairy farmers in Canada. There are there's supply management around the dairy industry, so the dairy cartel has a stranglehold on Canadian politics. So this guy won. By a few dairy farmers now in Canada, you can't go against party line very easily because the leader has to personally sign off on your endorsement. So it's very easy for you to get kicked out of caucus and get kicked out of the party. So now Maxime, because he has been speaking up about liberty issues and supply management, he's going against the party line. He's on the outs with his party. But the fact that he. Almost one leadership of the Conservative Party, I think, is testament to the work that libertarians are doing in Canada to popularize the message. Without the Libertarian Party door knocking and and promoting this message, I don't think Maxime would have come close to winning that.
0: Just going back to what you said about Ron Paul and his campaign inspiring so many people, despite the fact that he didn't win in any sort of traditional political sense. No, what has really stood out to me here is for the first time, you know, a lot of these people that were inspired by Ron Paul. I was maybe I was 28 years old uh, when he ran for president, and and that I was a libertarian before that, but he inspired me to speak out and become active, which led to me doing this podcast, which led to me being a delegate at this convention eventually. And I have met so many people here. It's one thing when I do podcast interviews and people mention they were inspired by Ron Paul, but to be here meeting literally meeting hundreds and hundreds of people who are now at this convention as delegates, as media, were surrounded by other, these are all Ron Paul kids that are now grown up and are really affecting change. And it's really, it's really been an amazing thing to see.
4: Yeah, it's, it is amazing. And again, I go back to, okay, what was Ron Paul's legacy? What was his success? Was it that he won a seat in government and pulled some legislative levers and gave us all liberty? Mm -hmm. No, he didn't have any success at all. As far as I know, in moving forward any liberty-oriented bills. Uh, but what he did do was light the fire of the population, and, and that, I believe, is what it takes to restrain government. You need a population of people that say liberty or death, and then the government follows the population. So what Ron Paul did was he sowed the seeds of liberty, and that's blossoming into uh, to bear, starting to bear fruit now.
0: One more thing I want to talk to you about before I let you go here. Uh, I believe you mentioned that you're doing a little debate a little later on with uh, our good friend
4: Walter Brock. What what is the
0: subject of that debate?
4: So the (laughs) debate is, does spanking children violate libertarian principles? I say it does. Walter Block says it doesn't. So uh, we'll test Walter Block's theory. I'll bend him over my knee and swat his behind (laughs) until he sees reason. Uh, If he doesn't see reason, then I guess we can safely conclude that spanking doesn't work. Right.
0: So your opposite position to spanking would just be because the same reason you can't hit an adult is the same right. reason you can't hit a kid. Uh, yep. I think Walter might argue that um, a child, because I've heard him argue this, so I, I have an idea of what he might, that sure. a child at a certain point is sort of the, the I don't know the word, the parent is sort of the custodian of the child as a child when they're at a certain age when they can't make decisions themselves. So, you know, sometimes right. you can use some sort of physical force, and he'll use like a, a smaller example at first saying, if your child is running across the street or about yep. to get hit by a car, you can certainly grab that child and pull them back in. I would differentiate that a little bit between that and actually, you know, corrective they correcting their behavior uh, via spanking. But I mean, what kind of punishments can you use on a child? Or if, if I mean, I, I'm not a parent, so I'm not going right. to comment on parenting techniques. But you know, besides spanking, what kind of, I guess, some um, corrective measures you might say could you use on a child who is say acting up or throwing a tantrum or that sort of thing? Right.
4: So, so are first, you
0: are you a father by the way? Or? Yeah,
4: yeah, I'm the father of four. So. I have some experience here. And listen, I, I was a traditional parent. You know, I spanking wasn't off the table in our household, timeouts, those kinds of things. Uh, punitive force wasn't off the table. And so it took me a long time. I realized eventually that I was violating the the principles I was espousing by doing this. And it took some work to figure out how to parent without force. Um, but you see the argument I'm making, I, I don't disagree with Walter that we got to use force as a parent. We have to restrain our kids. We have to make them brush their teeth. We have to make them do things that they don't want to do in right. the moment. And this isn't uh, this isn't a problem that is unique to parents either. You know, as a paramedic, I run into this problem all the time. I have patients adult patients who lack capacity they're hypoglycemic they're having seizures they're having a psychotic break uh, for whatever reason medically they're not they, they don't have their uh, capacity so my job is to be their custodian now I can restrain them to prevent them from hurting themselves and others uh, but you would never say that I can hit them I, I, I can't whack them or spank them I, we wouldn't say that that was we, we would say that that's a violation of my custodial duty yeah. that I'm using initiatory force. It's not protecting them in any way. So we need to differentiate what's protective, what's initiatory. If it's not protective force, then it's initiatory force. And and there's no argument you can make that I've seen, uh, that spanking represents protective force. It doesn't teach kids anything. It teaches them to avoid punishment and hide the bad, b- bad things that they're doing right. from parents, if anything. So it has almost the exact opposite effect. And, uh, it's always done after the fact, not while it's go- while the things going on, it doesn't mm-hmm. So, so you can use force to protect them, grab their hand away from the hot stove, don't pull them back from running on the road, make them brush your teeth, but but you can't hit, hit them. You can't I hit mean, them, even if it's called spanking.
0: Right. I mean, I, I see it a little similar to, you know, if I, if I have a friend who's way too drunk and is about to get in his car, uh, I will grab his keys and I will keep his keys. And technically sure. I have, you know, maybe violated the NAP sort of. I wouldn't really look at it that way, um, but I'm not going to. Beat him up, <laughs> right? right yeah. I'm not going to
4: punish force, him for doing yeah. it. I'm just going to try to do enough to prevent him from injuring himself or someone else. Right, and and I'll say this because the the real crux of your question was, well, then what can you do as a parent, right. right? And so, I found that you know for the first year when I took initiatory force off the table, I saw everything in terms of when can I use force? When is it okay for me right. to use force? But I realized after a while, that's the complete wrong way to look at parenting. I had to look at parenting like uh, an entrepreneur almost. Like what These child children are my customers. I have to deliver them to their future selves when they're fully self-actualized and can be their own custodian uh, in the best form possible. And so I have to be an entrepreneur. So I have to see the life through their eyes. I have to understand, um, the way I was contributing to their environment and the, their behaviors. And I had to spend a lot of work engaging with them, talking with them, reasoning with them, um, and, and that sort of thing and negotiating with them and holding myself to the same standards and making agreements. And w- once I figured that part out, things got a whole lot better in terms of their behavior. Nothing's ever perfect, but, um, but, but things improved dramatically. So you can do it. You can piece, Peacefully parent, uh, but it does require more work. There's no shortcuts to this. You, if, if you're having kids, you're kind of taking on a positive obligation. You mm-hmm. kind of owe it to them. Uh, they require your constant engagement for survival and flourishing. So, so I think that's that's something that's worthwhile and something that every parent should do.
0: Tim, well, uh, best of luck in the debate, best of luck with your uh, parliamentary run, best of mm-hmm. luck with your peaceful parenting. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just let everybody know where they can find out more, uh, not just about your, your run for parliament. Of course, we'd like people to—I'm assuming you can't donate as an American to a, a Canadian political campaign. Is that correct? No, although, you know— we, You can share interviews on Facebook. Absolutely. You can like things. You can um, tell people about his campaign if you have
4: Canadian friends. Yep. And you can support, uh, you know, private endeavors of our, our members uh, with Bitcoin and all sorts of things. Right. So a lot of us have uh, YouTube channels. Uh, I'll probably be starting a Patreon page pretty soon and doing, um, you know, liberty oriented messages and and things on mental health. I have some uh, uh, background in PTSD and different things like that. So watch for that kind of thing. That that kind of thing definitely helps us. But, yeah, spread our message. And uh, you can find us on libertarian.ca. You can look me up on social media and on Twitter, uh, just Google Tim Moen and and friend requests me and let's uh, let's connect. Tim, pleasure talking to you. Pleasure Thank meeting you. you. Best
0: Appreciate of luck. It. Take care. Awesome. Hello, Lions. We are here live at the Libertarian National Convention with I am also with my one of my co-hosts here, John Odermatt, and we are here with the one and only. The walking weapon of mass persuasion. That
5: is right. I am the walking <laughs> Mr. <weapon>. Robert Kerner. <laughs> it sounds a bit sexual. Doesn't Robin,
0: it? <laughs> it's been I've had my hand out for a while here on the video. <laughs> am I supposed
2: to shake it? I don't know. Is that what
0: it's a pleasure meeting. Um, it's really been a kick actually being here at the convention because I've been doing this podcast for almost five years from the back of my house in Los Angeles, yes. and now suddenly I'm meeting um, so many of the people that I've interviewed uh, so many times in person, and it's kind of cool to find out that you're real people. You're not just uh, bots on the
5: internet. <laughs> and I am not a hologram. <laughs> Yeah. yeah,
0: how's how's the convention been for you? I know you've been all over the place. You did what you told me, like something like five right, talks. Yeah,
5: fantastic. It's been really great. I did. God, I can't even remember what I've done. I did a talk on winning elections out of nowhere. I did a talk on at the pragmatic caucus. Um, I did a great thing on pragmatists, purists, and principles with Jeffrey Tucker. Ooh. That got a lot of feedback, well um, positive. Um, I also got a lot of positive feedback from uh, my efforts moderating. Yes, the, I'd
0: love to discuss the chair debate, uh, which that was, was interesting.
5: Right? <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> was
0: cool. well, The most interesting uh, thing is that you know we had um, two. Well, you are not a foreigner now. I suppose you are now pl- uh, an American citizen, I'm but American uh, as you well. uh, originated <laughs> abroad right from the United I Kingdom, and well. it was your. Self and uh, someone who I just talked to a few minutes ago, Tim Moen of the li- leader mm. of the Libertarian Party of Canada. So it's pretty interesting to have two guys from uh, different countries uh, hosting the U- U.S. Libertarian Party uh, chair debate.
5: I think it's become a bit of a theme because back in 2016, he and I uh, both moderated, co-moderated the uh, debate for vi- the vice presidential nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was so actually, you're like a package. You're like a package, package moderating deal. deal yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the the, the uh, subject to Her Majesty the Queen. We are a package, uh, package moderating deal. Yeah, that's right. Maybe I'll uh, maybe it'll be a, a new business thing if this uh, Liberty Persuasion thing fails. I just out moderating debates. It was a lot of fun. Uh, as we were
0: talking about before we went live here, um, the debate was very. Would you call it
6: interesting? <laughs> <laughs> but it was definitely interesting. Contentious. It definitely it bad, had a different
0: yeah. vibe. The, the vice yeah. chair debate, I'd say, was, was fairly calm and, and straightforward. And yeah. uh, the libertarian chair debate, the, the chairman debate, was um, yeah. a little more contentious. I guess definitely. you might say. I would, I would yeah, call it contentious. Yeah. It was feisty. But I I want to talk about this from from the area of your expertise the, uh, uh-huh. the persuasion were there any interesting sort of persuasive moments within, within oh, that context of the debate that you would want to discuss know, for a you minute You shouldn't
5: ask me that because then I have to <laughs> kind of like declare to look know, something yeah. right. Um yeah. you can speak
0: in uh, vague generalities <laughs> yeah, if you <laughs> like well,
5: see how much I can say without saying anything at all Right Um <laughs> No pressure or anything. Well, let's say. Ask me the specific. I, I how about this?
6: About. <laughs> let, let me ask you this here. Let's see if uh, you can. Weigh let's toss on it to this. our persuasion expert right here. <laughs> so uh, the current chair and the re-elected chair, uh, Nicholas Sawark, yeah. um, really. It's Sarwark. He's in. Sarwark. He, he doesn't. I, yeah. I think we've had to have yeah, talks. We say about his, name him wrong, 90% his name wrong ninety percent of the time, <laughs> which you keep saying it. So that's good persuasion, right? Any anyway, um, the way he runs a meeting, excellent, very professional, um, keeps things in order. He's really done it's, an incredible job. The fact that he's been running this,
0: I I, I get exhausted sitting in there for for three days, Uh, but he's been doing this for days and then has to participate in a debate right after in the middle Mm -hmm. of all that. It's pretty amazing.
6: And his biggest challenger, um, Joshua Smith, who he beat, um, his biggest weakness, they said, didn't have the experience, hadn't run a meeting. So the delegation watching Nick in his prime, in his element, isn't that pretty much impossible to overcome? Well, I mean, from a persuasion standpoint...
5: It's difficult. It's never impossible. I mean, you know, this whole thing about the art of political persuasion is connecting with people where they are, especially at their point of disaffection, disillusionment, or, you know... When it comes to politics, it's usually specifically a feeling of being having one's basic sense of justice offended. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't really count inside the party; it's not really the last. A little bit, a little bit, perhaps, but certainly there there has been disaffection. Yeah, all of the support that Joshua got, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, before the debate, I mean, reflects that there was a, an agitation for change in various respects, right. and and um, which I think is let's put it this way. Doing what I do as the political psychology and persuasion guy, people are coming up to me, especially now, mm-hmm. really interested in what I do. As this is the big piece we have missing, you've got it. I want to talk Absolutely. to you about it, that kind of thing, which is great. So, so, and I and I think that relates to the strength that perhaps Josh's candidacy was hoping to bring, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't able to connect from the stage. He wasn't compelling, wasn't convincing. Right. Um, but, you know, he, he'll have more shots, right? Mm. Um, do so yeah, you think it was I mean,
0: a mistake when Josh uh, Josh gave his final speech uh, the next the day after the debate? And uh, one thing I, that he said was uh you know don't let a bad debate you know um, you know for, don't let don't forget everything I've done and and everything I've been saying because of one bad debate. Do you think it's a mistake to reference a bad debate because a lot of people might not have thought it was that bad? And then he confirms that he says that, that he didn't do well, it, yeah. and then. If-
5: or is it maybe showing some humbleness that could help? I mean, I don't really know the answer. So, so I would say, um, as long as what, as long as the context in which you reference it actually does the job you want it to do. If you nail that, right. if you can nail it, then yes, admit what everything everybody's thinking. It, hmm. it it often serves to admit, even if even if you do it by a reframing. There's got to be an acknowledgement, especially when this when the thing you're acknowledging was a. Big miss, miss from expectation. I mm-hmm. mean, um, I think I think that was true. I think that was kind of what happened, uh, you know, in in the debate. So, so I think that was, um, I think that was probably mature, and I, you know, and he didn't say he engaged in mudslinging and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that spoke to the lack of maturity that seems to be evident on the stage, mm-hmm. um, and you know, maybe maybe he's signalling that he's. At the beginning of a of a learning curve, or maybe not the very beginning, but you know mm-hmm. on a learning curve, and and um, and that and that's good, right? And that's good, and, and I hope he can be uh, a serious contributor. This votes now for at large, right? A serious contributor mm-hmm. to um, the success of the LP going forward, because I think he's got some good ideas on some of the things that matter. Um, Nick was brilliant. As I just want to say he he won it hands down. He was brilliant. Um, and with respect to persuasion, Nick was the more, most persuasive from the stage as well. Absolutely. And there were certain things he did, um, one might say strategically and tactically, and some just good lines from the stage that really landed. And, and, and he deserved to be where he is. Are there a
0: couple that, that stand out to you a little I bit? I know you don't want to be biased, but you already mentioned that he did good. So I think you can mention. Uh, yeah, no, I
5: actually, <laughs> I, like right now sitting here, I can't remember them, but I remember yeah, yeah. sitting there in the moderator's chair going, mm. Mm, nicely done. Right. You know.
0: Well, uh, I think. One thing, that, that one qual- really great quality that Nick has is he's an he's amazing sense of humor, a very sharp sense of humor. He's and that, dry.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like
0: Nick is dry. Snarky. And <clears throat> not
5: for everybody, but... Right, right, right. Um, it's actually, there's actually something quite English about it. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I kind of I have this kind of cultural sympathy <laughs> with the way he is. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, the kind of the straight face, uh, solid. Right, yes. Um, mm-hmm. And that sense of solidity. Um, and, you know... This is two sides of a coin. On the one hand, you know, the sense of solidity, stability is good. On the other hand, the agitation for Josh was an agitation for, you know, no more business as usual. We all kind of want to kind of stir it up. You know, that's what the, his supporters were saying. Right. So, so um, you know, I'm not saying it's a, a panacea, right, mm-hmm. um, stability and solidity. But he he has that. But he doesn't just have that. He obviously has a lot more, as you were indicating. So, you know, well done, Nick, you know.
0: And humor, uh, you know, you're, you're an expert in, in methods of persuasion. and Humor is definitely a, a major method of Very persuasion. Important. Because, them. as you always talk about, well, what you're trying to do is win friends, not arguments. And one way to have, have people like you and see you as a friend is to make mm-hmm. them laugh. No one, no one dislikes someone who makes them laugh. So it's a. Yeah. Uh, I think humor is a, an element that. I, well, I think a lot of libertarians could use see a little more yeah. humor uh, in our arguments uh, in general when we're outside of here. There's been a. You,
5: you, know, th- you know, to that point. Um, as, as you know, of course, libertarians are actually, psychologically, on average, we're quite like progressives, but with our rationality, our, uh, our systematization we're turned hyper up high. hyper-rational. And we're low in empathy. Right. And good humor rests on, I mean, I'm approximating, but rests on the ability to be mm-hmm. empathic, right? Timing is a bit about that. Right. Um, so there is certainly a, a sense in which for libertarians especially— um, humor can uh, do a lot of good because we humor can be a, a pattern breaker right mm-hmm. and pattern breaking is important when you're trying to open someone's mind to a new idea what you want to do is subvert their expectation And human uh, yeah and in this case yeah, the expectation of what you might be as one of those freaky libertarians let's say if right. you're outside the movement <laughs> um, if you can subvert that that that's can be good for opening a kind of cognitive door humor is often a really good way to do that I got
6: a question with with regards to I think one of the biggest hurdles Libertarians have many hurdles to getting elected. <laughs> but one of the biggest ones is uh, people actually, actually being able to picture them in office, being able to picture yeah. a uh, libertarian senator, a libertarian congressman, a libertarian president. They can't even get it in their mind. What can libertarians do to sort of plant that image, to, to overcome that
5: obstacle? Um, so many things. One, one that just comes to mind first um, is... Instead of banging on about this ideal political destination, Mm -hmm. our libertarian utopia, which, you know, varies among different libertarians, but you know what I mean, to actually root one's discussions, especially of policy in where we are Mm -hmm. and remember that that politics is the art of direction, not destination. Waking up tomorrow in anybody's libertarian utopia is not on the table. It never will be thankfully also waking up tomorrow in a communist Dystopia is not on the table right. if you're you know What you want to do is move policy in the right direction. Usually it's one step at a time Sometimes it's two steps and if you're really lucky occasion You're really damn good at whatever you're doing in your right place at the right time It can be three however, mm-hmm. you might measure them, right, but um, it's easier to get agreement around direction. And when you're talking in terms of direction from here, you're really sharing the common reality and showing that you're engaged with the common reality and you don't live in the hypothetical. I think to a lot of folks, we live in the hypothetical. Um, And I say the ideal, the abstract, all Mm -hmm. of the above, right?
0: What kind of response have you been getting out here at the Libertarian Convention to, uh, to uh, everything you're saying out here? You're mostly here, well, you've given five different talks, so may, <laughs> I, I, well, what else have you been talking about besides persuasion? Because I know that is, is your big thing, and it probably all ties back to that, ultimately. But. Well,
5: no, you know, I wouldn't say it does. You know, the, the talk I did with Tucker, <clears throat> Jeffrey Tucker, on uh, pragmatists, purists, and principles— it's really, it's, it's kind of deeper than persuasion, it's not psychology, it's really philosophy. I was really talking about the nature of truth and our responsibility to truth as our primary responsibility in trying to work out what the good life is and how to get it through and in politics. right? Um, so I, was, I actually drew an analogy between our, our responsibility uh, doing politics with the responsibility of scientists doing science. Right. Um, because you can ask the question, is science pragmatic or is it purist? Well, it's both. And it has to be both mm-hmm. in being true to its principle of the pursuit of truth. And if you have the percent, the principle of pursuit of truth, necessarily, your discipline will be both fundamentally pragmatic and fundamentally purist. And what I mean by that is... Um, Science is concerned with, the, with abstract truths. I mean, that's what they're trying to produce. They, they come up with E equals MC squared, and then they build a bomb, right? right. That's not a good example, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I mean, it, it is actually a good example, for, I, but you know what I mean. It's but truth. On, but but yes. on the other hand, how do, they, how do they, as it were, perfect the purism? 100% pragmatically by going into the world and testing the, the pure propositions mm. against the way the world reacts and against data. And I was inviting the audience to consider that we in politics, in the liberty movement, what are the data that which, from which we engage the world pragmatically with which we build what we believe in the abstract, right? What we then hold purely Mm -hmm. and the answer is moral intuition human beings have moral intuitions about all kinds of things and so for example if we go non-aggression principle it all falls out of that we're done but that word aggression means different things to different people and to some people tax isn't aggression at all. We have a choice of ignoring them, I. ignoring the data and sticking with our old theory, right, still being in Newtonian mechanics mm-hmm. or actually trying to understand what actually is that data point, which is what you have to do if you want to move from Newton to Einstein, right, by analogy. Are you following me? Yeah. And, and And it's a deep respect, I think, for the fact that the dichotomy that seems to prevail in our movement between pragmatists, purists, or pragmatists and radicals, sometimes self-identified, is entirely false. And it's false because of our Mm. commitment to principle. Purists do not have a monopoly on principle. Pragmatists do not have a monopoly on principle. But one thing I know for sure is telling someone they should stop doing something because it doesn't accord with your statement of a principle is not actually being principled stating a principle isn't being principled the point of having principles is to um change the world for the better right Mm -hmm. now people have different ways as to how to do that sometimes you have to grandstand and say i will not participate but sometimes you have to get down and dirty and realize that a a principled compromise isn't the same thing as a compromise principle so with tucker i was talking about that kind of stuff Mm kind of deeper than psychology you know it was it was getting to the nuts and bolts, yeah. I, I would say. And that, I had a lot of fun doing that. I'm a philosopher at heart. Mm-hmm.
0: This does sort of tie into uh, something John and I were discussing with uh, Joe Hoffman. He was one of the vice chair candidates. Uh, when we first arrived, we had a chat with him. And he's, he's he was a physics teacher, and he spent, like I think, 23 years teaching physics. So that physics. was my
5: discipline, physics. Right, okay. So,
0: And he said, you know people would say, oh, you're a, you're a physicist. He said, no, 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 I'm not a physicist. I teach physics. You you do not want a physicist, an actual physicist, teaching physics. It will be over everybody's head. Everybody will fall asleep. He is just a, <laughs> a, a communicator of, of the ideas yeah, of physics. And example. I think libertarians need to think about things in, in a similar way. A, a lot of us are, are philosophers. We have all these ideas about philosophy. and But we can't have the philosophers, necessarily the engineers, being the persuaders, being the marketers. Or mm. we at least need to separate those. Those two things in our own minds maybe a little bit maybe when we're here having conversations with each other we can be the philosophers in our internal debates but when we go outside and start to communicate with other people we need to be the other thing we need to be just a person more of a persuader and a marketer
5: you know as you're saying that the thing that comes to my mind i'm just going to throw it out there because it's a little bit subversive <laughs> is a quote from marx because karl marx said the philosophers seek to understand the world but the thing is to change it right, right? And, yeah. and and everybody here mm-hmm. claims that we're here to do the latter but then Many of us sometimes get hung up on the former, and making sure that you understand the world the same way I right. do. Right? It's like, what the hell? <laughs> Libertarians love to be right. right. Yes. Love
0: to, I love to be right too. Yeah. But I know that, and something you talk about all the time: proving someone
5: wrong doesn't make them like you, <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't make them adopt the position right. that intellectually they may see that I that you know people are not consistent. That they may intellectually kind of concede grudgingly has got some merit. That doesn't mean they're going to actually support it. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't mean tomorrow they won't slip back into their mistake.
0: And I'm. Guilty. Do this sometimes too, because we're all humans; and we can't help it. But libertarians love to say things like, uh, you know, if someone adopts a a, a, a position on something on, under, say, Donald Trump, libertarians love to say, you know, something that we should support. Let's say, um, against putting kids in cages or something like that. And then a lot of libertarians and just you know conservatives, whoever, will say, well, you didn't care about this under Obama; you were wrong then. You were so wrong. Why do you care now? And you're not addressing the issue. You should be happy that they uh, agree with you on something now, and you should join with them and, and just rubbing something in their face that they didn't but- see it before. That's not gonna. Help, help get them on your side at all. That's going to tell them that you're not an ally. You're just there to hammer yeah. them and, and to be correct.
5: Yeah, I mean one of the first ways of actually getting somebody to identify with you so that you can win them as a supporter is not getting them to not like you because you're telling them that you don't respect them morally or intellectually. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. duh. I mean, you know, come on, you should learn that in kindergarten. You know, but we do it all the time. It's like, yeah, some of it's pretty basic.
6: What what are your views on Trump? I, I mean, there's people Ooh, that, there's wow. people who are how, how much time we got? We got to vote pretty soon. Let's, let's not go deep. Well, actually, I, I just want to talk you about the battery. That yeah, way, I see that. all well, 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 right, well, well, right. We'll, we'll be okay. The, uh, per, the persuasive uh, angle of Trump. A lot of people will joke that he's you know playing uh, 3D underwater bat game and, and doing and doing <laughs> things
0: five dimensional you know,
6: Parcheesi or whatever it is doing things behind the scenes. But really, just talking about something simple like his his nicknames, um, crooked Hillary. Mm. Um, things yeah, like low, that that's uh,
5: lowest common denominator stuff mm. it, so, works, um, yeah, it, yeah, it works though I mean, yeah it does work
6: or maybe more specifically a better example how he um, really has worked towards an unprecedented solution hopefully it's moving in that direction with, uh, with North Korea and uh, Kim mm. Jong Un
5: Oh well, now you asked me two big questions there. Right? Okay. I actually did a little monologgy thing that I stuck out on YouTube, um, not produced like this. <laughs> it was a uh, just a yeah off the top of my head, and it was produced. Basically, we, got a, we got a phone. We got. A,
0: if you guys can don't see tell our him, setup, don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> let's just leave, let that go. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah, moving swiftly on. No, um, I, I actually um, said, did this thing on uh, the two lessons from the Kim Trump summit, um, and uh, and one of them was and I, and I said. Somewhat sunk, tongue in cheek. Um, always sit down with terrorists. You know how they say you never sit down to never negotiate. To, no, no, you always do. Um, because in 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 opening the dialogue, you don't concede a principle. And I know there was the whole thing about. And, and, and I I come to this from being a kid brought up watching the news in the UK about the IRA every day on the news, me growing up was, mm-hmm. you know, who are the latest innocents that the IRA bombed? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the British government would get up and say, we won't sit down with terrorists. And, and the, the IRA would get up and say, yeah, the, the British government is an occupying force and has no legitimacy here. And we're going to keep destroying them because they're an occupying force. Yeah. Blah 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 blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and so each from within their paradigm had good principled reasons to not sit down with the other side. And yet... Quietly, you know, behind mm-hmm. in behind closed doors, they were sitting down for years uh, and, and now there are thousands and thousands of innocent people alive because the British sat down with terrorists and the terrorists sat down with a, a government they didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. Well, thank God for that, right? Um,
0: and, and it's at least saying, okay, well, at, at this moment in time, we agree... Talking is better than violence.
5: Yeah. Well, to to George was better than to war war Churchill said that right and he's right and It's always been been the case now one of the things that I actually do think uh, Was also important in that playing out and I might be unusual in my view on this is that Trump actually did what nobody had done before uh, in this uh, um, In the North Korean American issue, which was say that he would not tolerate um the behavior of North Korea, the going, you know, the, 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 the threats mm-hmm. and he said it in terms that they understood. He spoke back to Kim in the language that Kim speaks to mm-hmm. us, the West to America, which is, we'll blow you out of the water. Mm-hmm. Now everybody said that's completely irresponsible. Actually the best way, if you don't know anything else about someone, the best way to communicate with them is the way they communicate with other people. Mm-hmm. That's how Kim got that message. And now it was crass. It was risky. I'm not. I'm not saying how great that Trump did it, but you, what you can't. What Trump did was um, uh, he he let he carried the big stick, and then he was prepared to sit down and he let Kim know he had a stick. What we've been doing beforehand was appease, 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 appease. Mm-hmm. Right. When you've seen the results, right. So by being more bellicose, because that's the language of the other side, right. There was credibility there, which actually brought the meeting. You know, brought the meeting together. Mm-hmm. Now, you could say, well, maybe nothing will come out of it. That's possible. But we know damn well for sure that not that doing what we had been doing was not getting us the result. Right. So uh, I don't give Trump credit for a lot. But um, there were two things he did there, which was draw the line of principle hard – but then say, even though I absolutely am so, you know, don't tolerate what you're doing, I don't accept it, and I declare publicly to the world I don't accept it, I will sit down to you because the fact that I don't accept anything you do or say doesn't mean I can't talk to you. Both of those things were right in principle, and I hope some good comes of it.
6: So
0: Robin, one last thing I'm curious about. Uh, as we discussed, you recently became a, a U.S. citizen, or it's not that recent now, but yeah, uh, a yeah, in a year or two, yeah. And um, so now that you're you're here to stay, so to speak, this is your I'm home. here to stay. You are a citizen. Is there any? Have you thought about actually getting more involved directly with the Libertarian Party? Whether you know, maybe <laughs> actually, That's maybe as simple as being a delegate, or maybe even for running question. for a position and using these weapons of mass persuasion <laughs> to help weaponize the Libertarian Party to, as we said, change the world. That's you why we're are here, right.
5: You are um, asking me a question I have been asked actually quite a few times this last few days. Mm-hmm. Um, I have... We
0: w- give a politician-y response, let's see. No, no, no I'm going to give you the
5: exact true response that okay. I've given to everyone um. else. Maybe it sounds a bit political, but <laughs> it's true. Um, uh, which is that... Um, I want to support anybody with my, you know, my skill set who's in the room for liberty. I don't care what your vehicle is. I don't care who you are, what you call yourself. I don't care as long as you're in the room for liberty and I'm helping you move that ball down that field. Um, so being non-partisan uh, serves me very well. If I also, if I were to join the LP and I'm not currently a member, if I were to do that, then. I think what would happen is, whenever, as soon as I expressed opinion for a candidate or for a position, I would then be part of the internal factionalism, right? Mm-hmm. And then any good ideas that well, I might have—Oh, Robin's have, talking
0: to that guy. He right. must be on that guy's team. Right, right. right. Well, I'm on the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's a pragmatist. You so see we that can't everywhere. Trust him on
5: the. You know, whatever it, might it be. It is you know.
0: kind of weird so, that the. Talking and the, the I don't want to say gossiping, but there's you know it's politicking because we're doing yeah, politics. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you're seen talking
5: to one person, suddenly people are saying, "Oh, Mark was talking to this guy," and there was a. Uh,
4: and you know what? It's not even like <laughs> who you're time, talking yeah. to. It's
5: okay. like you know when you take a position on you know one of those horrendous debates that go on on your Facebook feed. Right? right. You know, you, you, people will pigeonhole you, and and I mean I don't care except for the fact that I think that would make it harder for me to work with everyone in the party right. to and outside provide, the party as well and outside yeah. the party. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's both. Um, to Provide the the knowledge, the skills, um, etc. That I can provide, all the while that I'm kind of like this professional outsider brought in when the party decides to bring me in, so I can keep kind of squeaky clean with respect to the internal politics. And I think that's how I can do most good for the LP. Most of the work I'm doing now is actually for LP candidates and the LP, um, but I'm I'm kind of uh, removed. Um, that uh, I would also like to see improvements in the internal culture of the LP, mm-hmm. but. Because there's an upside for what I do, even for the LP, of not being in the LP, there would need to be some really good reason for me to to join. I mean, right. but I'm really happy to support the LP in every way I can practically and and in spirit and, and in philosophically and all those things. So I'm, I'm doing my bit you know, and here I am, you know.
0: Well, uh, yeah, either way, I think we'll be happy to have Robin Kerner a part of the Liberty Movement helping people uh, work on our persuasion. It's the number one thing libertarians need to learn. Uh, we, it's five years ago, I was just as bad as anybody uh, doing this podcast has really helped me by having brilliant minds like yourself on and yes. teaching us how to persuade people and how to make friends and not just win arguments so, Robin, wish you the best of Thanks, luck. It's man. been a pleasure. Finally, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, we've been on the show yeah. a few times. So, uh, yeah. it's been fun. You got right? it.
5: cheers, guys. This is a hostile takeover of Lions of Liberty. This is Chris Spangle from We Are Libertarians. They have a in their
0: booth, and We Are Libertarians has moved in. I hereby declare all of the Lions of Liberty
5: pride to be the property of We Are Libertarians from here on, from henceforth. <laughs>
0: What's up, fans? Hi. Lions of Liberty, friends. Um, <laughs> if we what? seem a little tired and a little delirious, it's because we've been in New Orleans for for, like three weeks, for about I a think. year, I think. <laughs> been here since Friday. Uh, every day has consisted of uh, events. We did the Human Action Bash on Saturday, which is an absolute blast, an absolute wonderful time. And then uh, we've been at the LNC for the last three days. It's been uh, quite an event uh Odie, what do you think we, we, <laughs> my, my interviewing now. skills are deteriorating i think very quickly but that's okay we just wanted to give you guys a quick little recap we are the last media yeah. you can't i'm pointing you as can, if you can you see but, see
6: behind us if you watch previous things there was a curtain back yes here. the we curtain know, is gone taking our curtain away so we're in the middle of a gigantic room we are
0: libertarians they're gone being libertarian is gone we are the last libertarians in the media in this entire media row and i'm proud of that yeah. fact how
6: many how many interviews did we do um,
0: one million i believe <laughs> I have a lot of work to do when I when I get home or I'm, or get on a plane. But, uh, yeah, it's been a, an amazing time so far. It's kind of interesting because we did Porkfest last week, which is the, really the first major event where I started meeting a lot of libertarians, mm-hmm. many of whom I knew from Facebook or just, like, whatever, and many of whom I didn't even know that were just fans of the show that had come up and introduced themselves that recognized us. Yeah, so it's, it's just pretty cool.
6: it's a strange experience. Yeah, it's, it's strange for, uh, you know, obviously – we know people out there listening. We talk to you guys in the forum and through email and, and all that stuff. But to actually meet you in person, that's, that's really cool. And to have people come up, come up to me and say, you know, Felony Friday is an awesome show. I mean, you're, you're making a difference. That's it, it makes a difference to, to hear that. I mean, to know that there's people out there, actually, real people, real breathing human beings that uh, that, that are watching this and, uh, and benefiting from it. And we wouldn't have been able to come here and cover this event and talk to so many incredible people without you guys listening and watching on Facebook live and our uh, supporters on Patreon who are Funded this. It's, you sent this uh, here. It's incredible. You sent this here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one thing
0: to, um, to, to uh, man, I just totally forgot my thought I was saying. This is the, this is this is why I don't normally do a live show. This is why, but, um, I think it, Mark it, might need a beer. Might be I just had me. a beer. I didn't, it didn't help. Didn't help. <laughs> um, and I, I, I would say, like, um, one thing that I that has really struck me being here at the LNC is you know five years ago when I first became a libertarian or not became a libertarian I've been a libertarian forever but uh, when I first became you know in, involved in the podcast and started connecting with so many different people in the libertarian movement originally I, fo- I didn't even want to talk to politicians I only really wanted to talk to the philosophical types the Walter blocks of the world uh, the the people that were really digging into the ideas and the philosophy because that was really the end of my interest and, and it, it is my still my primary interest but as I've um, as the Podcast grew and grew. And uh, this really started a couple of years ago before the 2016 convention, but a lot of candidates for uh, for office, for LNC positions, started to reach out to me, started to reach out to the show and then request to be interviewed and request to come on. And a uh, part of me was a little skeptical getting into that end of things a bit because I kind of wanted to stay away from the politics of it all, the, the day-to-day politics of it all. But I decided, you know, these are people that are doing liberty in, in a, a, a different way. There's many ways to do these things. There's cultural. Uh, you can be Eric July and backwards and do things that way. You can start a podcast. Uh, you can do the political end and connect with people that way. And what I've really been realizing, meeting all these people in person, I think it's the, it's, I can't express enough. If you get the opportunity to go to a libertarian event, whether it's a, just a, a local meetup, whether it's meeting up with, uh, whether it's going to something like Porkfest, which I highly recommend, especially, uh, I think if Roger Paxing is running it next year again, I, I believe he's going to, and uh, he puts on an amazing event, and uh, it's coming to the LNC, whatever it is. Meeting and connecting with these people in real life, realizing that we're not just, yes, it's very important, and it really builds a sense of unity, and and I hate that word in some ways, because it's associated with, you know, socialism and the left and that sort of thing, Um, but unity in the sense of a community, a feeling of community, a feeling that even though we might bicker online and argue about things um, to no end, we really are a community that, that overall believes in the same things, believes in changing the world, and believes in really influencing other people, because ultimately that's what we have to do. And I think interacting with people face-to-face really helps you learn to do that better. And uh, and there's just so many people who are influences there. In politics, you have to be able to influence people. So this is a mecca of influencers, people who are master influencers, people who are learning to influence each other. And I think really speaking to these people in person is just, uh, I can't even describe the the importance of that experience, even if you're not interested in the political end, or you think you don't don't care about being a delegate, which I I ended up being at the last minute. Uh, If you don't care about voting even, even if you are anti-voting, I would recommend coming to a Libertarian National Convention simply for the purpose of connecting with someone people. I mean, Adam Kokesh is here. He's a delegate and he's about about as uh, you know, anti-government, anti- you know, the, the state and anti-the system as you can get. So I would say if, if, if it's good enough for Adam Kokesh, it should be yeah, good enough for you guys he's too. He's running
6: for president running to for president. abolish the presidency, which it's interesting. And uh, Arvind Vora just announced today he's going to be running for president he did. too. So Arvin
0: Vora did announce his run for presidency yeah, as it'll well. That'll be exciting
6: to watch. So uh, Just to kind of build off what you were saying there, um, you know, so much of this movement is... Through social media, interacting online, talking on Facebook, talking in, in you know Facebook groups and all that stuff, which is well and good, but I think we sort of lose, as Mark was saying, you don't have that personal element, you don't have that personal interaction. Yeah. We talk differently on Facebook than we do in person, and it's just like Mark was saying, it makes a huge difference to actually be able to shake someone's hand, look them in the eye, and even if you disagree, you realize I'm talking to another human being who's you know going through the same. Struggles to forward the liberty movement than I am just trying to do it in a different way. So, absolutely, get yourself to Porkfest, to, to an event like this, to a local, you know, a local liberty meetup in your area. And uh, there's really no reason not to. I wanted to ask you, Mark. Uh You've done by far, Being interviewed. by far more interviews than I have. I've done um, a thousand. Mark's done like 3,000. And I don't want to ask you your favorite because that's. You're all my favorite, because now I'm a politician, so so give a political answer. Everyone's my favorite, John. So many good ones, but... Which one, uh, like when you just think back, which one comes to mind first is making like a big impression? Um,
0: it might be recency bias. I'm not sure. But it, the, the last person we talked to was Robert Kerner and it was uh, yeah. really refreshing speaking to him because I've spoken to, and it's been wonderful speaking to people that are running campaigns. I've had a lot of uh, people with campaigns that I had, some I've heard of, some I hadn't even heard of at all. So it's really interesting meeting people doing so many different things and, and that have so many different um, like messages or, or motivations for, for doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, Robert Kerner was really, really enjoyable to talk to. and uh, and. Uh, Um, Yeah, I mean his thoughts on persuasion and and his ability to really uh, teach people how to communicate better, teach people how to market the ideas better, ultimately that's something we all need to be able to do. We can decide what's right and wrong all we want. We can have a philosophical conversation. We should. No one is more thinks the philosophical (laughs) –
6: It's been a long year. It's dip. live.
0: It's been a long year. Uh, it's been a long two weeks really, because we've been I've pretty much been nonstop since Porkfest. I went home for a couple of days yeah. and then I, I was back here. The last two weeks don't um, even make
6: sense. Boy, I wish I could rewind
0: and, and hear what I was just saying. <laughs> Um, no, but um, you know, we all need to eventually learn uh, – that's what I was saying. We, no one is, is more interested in the philosophical conversation than me. That's why I started Lions of Liberty Podcast because I wanted to have more philosophical conversations. I thought it was extremely necessary and I still think it's extremely necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is something else to these ideas. There is coming to what they are in your own mind or by conversations with other, others and then there is – getting other people to listen to you. I'm not just saying to agree with you, just to listen in the first place. And I think so often uh, the approach that liber- many, not just libertarians, probably people of any political bent take mm-hmm. is we got to prove you wrong. We got to prove this person wrong. Uh, Cause we're right. We are I, on the I right mean, side of I, everything.
6: I think Democrats probably do it better than definitely better. Than libertarians but probably better than Republicans too at culturally influencing culture and reaching out and, and, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, something Eric July talked about at Pork yeah. Fest. I mean, look, the Democrats have Jay Z and Beyonce and all of Hollywood out there supporting right. them, and they did that through culture. That is exactly. a that is cultural growth. That is not philosophical or government, really. So that's what we need to do. We need to invade the culture. Uh, the, invade political, the, culture. the political, the <laughs> political part part of this is very important. Uh, but changing hearts and minds, as cheesy as that may sound, is what we have to do to make any change in the world at all. And uh, I mean, like. We're not making money off this. We're, we we are using our Patreon money to uh, mm-hmm. to pay for our not even for our meals and drinks. I, I'd love to uh, I'd love to ju- try to justify in a way to justify <laughs> us doing that. Mo for this equipment that we're using to record to stream to you guys on Facebook uh, for our, our our flights, our hotels. We could not have done this without you. Um, you know, it's one thing to just take some time off work, but then to actually have to spend all the money out of our own pockets to do this. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but it would it would be a much more difficult decision, I think. So uh, thank you so much to the Lions of Liberty Pride, all of our supporters on Patreon. I truly, truly, truly cannot possibly express in words enough uh, how how thankful we are for the opportunity to be able to do this. And it's all thanks to you guys. So uh, if you enjoy the Facebook live streaming we've been doing, we didn't even plan on doing any Facebook live streaming. We you just kind of... We just kind of thought about it at the last minute and we just have the sort of a, out, yeah. a jerry-rigged setup here and uh, we figured we'd try to get some more interaction going with you so you can get you know, while while you're waiting for these podcasts to be edited, which will happen at some point, you can go and see all, see all of this in real time, unedited, unscripted, yeah. unedited and uh, so we, we, this is just another way to try to thank you guys and, and for your contributions and not even just contributions, it's not just about the people that pay us the money. Uh, we wouldn't have even been a place to start a Patreon without all the thousands and thousands and thousands of people sharing our show, subscribing to our show, Show, downloading the show, telling us by your clicks and views that that what we're doing matters to you and that we should keep doing it. And uh, I think – have been just so inspired right now. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. But I'm also inspired to continue doing this stuff and to continue to, 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 uh, to, continue to be involved in the liberty movement in many different ways. And uh, I'm going to stop talking now. But, John, please give your recap because my brain is mush, folks.
6: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give a, a similar recap. Mark was talking about Robin, the Robin Kerner interview, which I took part in, and it was awesome. I wanted to because – Rob is talking about persuasion and that outside of criminal justice reform within the Liberty movement, I think persuasion and messaging. It's, it's my passion right now. It's what I want to get better at. It's what I want to help other libertarians get better at. But my uh, interview with Maj Touré was along the same lines talking about really how to reach out culturally and how to, uh, one thing he talked about is, you know, if uh, libertarians are going to be able to go into the black community and uh, present a legitimate option, uh, a, a legitimate alternative to the, uh, to the Democrats. We have to do it in a way where we have, first of all, we're actually there and we actually go there and we actually talk to people, meet them, shake their hand and, uh, and, and just uh, help in any way we can. But on top of that, we need advocates within the community to sort of vouch for us. And Maj Touré, could be uh, one of those advocates seems like he's willing to uh, to work with libertarians. He gave a you know, tremendous or participated on a tremendous panel with uh, Adam Kokesh and Cynthia McKinley and Latanya Washington, I believe might have her last name wrong, but that was, that was awesome. That was two days ago. I don't know. All the, all the days run together, but that, that is so vitally important. Um, the libertarian party is not going to grow until we're able to break down those barriers and really reach these areas that we, we, haven't haven't been able to haven't been able to break through. So, th- this weekend has been awesome weekend. I don't even know it's what day is it? Tuesday. A, I have no idea. I believe it's a Tuesday, but I I can neither confirm or deny that that is
0: correct at this point.
6: Yeah, but it's it's been a crazy weekend, and we start started off at the. Uh, Mises Caucus and interviews with Larry Sharp and Tom Woods and Alex Merced. Getting to meet
0: Tom Woods in person and and talk to him face to face is just so cool. cool.
6: I think I mentioned this on one of the
0: podcasts, but one of the craziest moments to me was when I I walked in, I kind of saw Tom Woods, and then he turns and sees me and says, is that Mark Clare? I'm like, what what is life right now when Tom Woods is is the one recognizing me? It's it's such a strange world, but I mean, one way, one thing that really strikes me about meeting all these people in person is that they're real people. They're real regular people just like us, and that Tom might be much smarter than me. Or, <laughs> much smarter than us. He's still a regular person. But he's still but a regular smarter, person. Right. I got the chance to go out to dinner with Tom Woods. I mean, it was amazing. I had dinner with Tom Woods and Michael Bolden at the Tenth Amendment Center. Mike Meharry, also the Tenth Amendment Center. It was cool to meet
6: Michael Bolden. And yeah. I know he's a, you yeah, and Brian have he's, met him before. He's I, a wacko, but yeah, I, I, that's a compliment a wacko, in my world. He's a wacko in a good way. <laughs> We're wackos. But, I mean, I knew about him, for, uh, you know, his work with the Tenth Amendment Center. I just thought he was a huge nerd. And a huge <laughs> Well, he, he God, is a this. huge nerd, but. <laughs> he is a, he's a a funny guy. Um, he's an entertaining Hi, guy. Hi Michael, so anyway, check out Michael Bolden. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, any final thoughts? I think we've given a series of final thoughts here, but uh, that's, any any that's final 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 thoughts for I haven't
6: had a beer yet today, so I'm oh, ready. ready well, for uh,
0: that's where we're different. I've had yeah. quite a few. Uh, <laughs> I just wanna say once again, thank you to every single one of you who's listened to our show, who supported our show, who has come up to me here at the, the Libertarian National Convention and told us how important you think what we're doing is. Nothing can could encourage could possibly encourage us to continue to do this more. Friends and fans, money could encourage. Oh, and Odia, we should probably tell them one thing as as we're closing out the the LNC. Actually, we should tell them a couple things. Tell them what you want to tell them. Do you know where I'm going with this? No. Maybe they should perhaps
6: keep their head up. Oh. oh. Well, catchphrases, marketing. This is John Odermatt signing (laughs) off, and uh, always remember to keep your head up. And the fires of liberty burning.
0: Uh, What's my what's my what's
6: my catchphrase again? I can help you with it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Also,
0: don't forget to live long. And, and live, live free. free. Adios, friends. All right, kitty cats. I'm pretty sure you could tell that uh, myself and Mr. Odermatt were pretty much at the end of our rope in that last little segment there, but we did want to do a uh, a sort of a recap from sight uh, on the scene without having the time to decompress and really uh, think things through, which I now have had a little bit more of time to do, and I have a lot of thoughts, like I said, about the convention, and instead of continuing this already very long show and telling you all about them right now, I'm going to encourage you to uh, listen to the Jason Tape program, which I'll be recording later today, so it should be out either tonight or tomorrow, uh, sometime early this week that you're listening here, so uh, I will have a lot of thoughts, I'll be in the studio with Jason and I'll be really uh, laying it all out there about everything that I learned from attending the Libertarian National Convention it was I, um, a really an amazing time though and like I said at the top of the show, I just can't encourage you enough to get in front of other Libertarians, we get into so many fights on Facebook, so many Twitter Wars, uh, we've all done it, we've all been there, but when you really get in front of someone and you see them and you look them in the eye and you shake their hand, even if you have disagreements, even if you are vehemently on opposite quote-unquote sides of one issue or another, when you actually communicate with a person in real life, it just changes everything. It changes the entire dynamic. You no longer see them as an enemy. You see them as, I know, really a, fa- a friend or a-, a family member even who has come to this same event because... because... Because they feel that the world is wrong. They feel that there are changes that need to be made in our society and they have found that this is one place we can gather to talk about how to do that. And once you really realize that and you make that connection, every conversation just becomes so much more pleasant than it ever could be on Facebook or Twitter when you're arguing about things, even if you disagree. So I just really want to uh, send that message home to please do whatever you can to meet other libertarians. That is my message today. I will have many more messages going forward. Uh, of course, my other message is to join our page. Patreon (laughs) so we can continue to go to events like this so you can hear this audio early. Our Patreon supporters will be getting all of this stuff earlier than the rest and of course continue to listen to all of the great shows on this feed. Brian McWilliams has been killing it lately over on Electric Liberty Land every single Wednesday while John Odermatt continues to do great work exposing the broken criminal justice system every single Friday on Felony Friday. And be sure to check out his interviews uh, from the LNC. He had a couple great conversations with Maj Teray of Black Guns Matter as well as Uh, as well as Eric Mulder, uh, a candidate for sheriff out of Colorado. So a couple great interviews uh, with John Odermatt. Check those out. Should be just one click back there in your feed uh, if you are a subscriber to the show. So please hit that subscribe button. We don't want you to miss anything. So much great content coming at you here. Until next time, folks. Live long and live free.